0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our monthly podcast entitled Risk Appetite Falls. It is the 16th of October. My name is Lorna Denny, and I'm joined today by Seamus Lyons and Alex Byrne. Interest rate uncertainty has gripped the markets after U.S. job numbers for September came in higher than expectations and U.S. inflation data proved more sticky. A sharp rise in U.S. Treasury bond yields since the summer has lowered the attractions of the more highly valued equities, including some of the mega cap tech names. On top of this, corporate growth forecasts in some of the major markets appear modest, whereas prospects for Japanese equities look relatively favorable. We take stock of the outlook for financial markets as risk appetite subsides and we review our latest tactical asset allocation moves. Seamus, perhaps you could add a little more colour on the major asset classes in recent weeks.
1: Hi, Lorna. So in what has been a pretty decent year for market so far, recent weeks, though, have seen a little bit more turbulence. So most equity markets globally sold off in September, and the U.S. actually had its weakest month so far this year. But probably more worrying was that we also saw bond markets selling down at the same time. And obviously, this is something that happened a lot last year. Both were hurt by this negative narrative in the market of interest rates remaining higher and for longer. So actually, we saw the U.S. 10-year yield. This touched a 16-year high, going close to 5% at one point before retreating back. And yields across other bond markets also rose. And then with credit spreads widening, and we also saw a difficult few weeks for emerging market debt and high yield and, and these spread asset classes. Uh, under the bonnet a little bit. From a style perspective, we actually saw value stocks outperform growth, the higher for longer narrative that weighed more heavily on those kind of big mega caps and growth stocks that have been doing well for much of this year. In terms of currencies, the dollar has been doing quite well, so it's strengthened. Again, this is, you know, as as the Fed's hawkish pause in September, this kind of some speculation that U.S. rates might actually be moving lower in 2024 and that this supports the dollar. And then in contrast, other currencies such as the euro, they, they weakened on, on the period. Outside of that, commodities, oil actually, the, the price there has been rising. So it reached $95 a barrel for Brent crude. This is the highest level in almost a year. And a lot of this is uh, on fears of tightening supply as OPEC Plus extended their production cut to the end of this year. Gold's come off a little bit more recently, again, with the, with the dollar strengthening as not in a headwind. So gold's come off a little bit from its highs, now trading just over $1,800 an ounce.
0: That's very useful context. Thank you, Seamus. Higher for longer, as you say, or high for long, has certainly become the mantra of the US Fed. It took markets a while to adjust to this as it indicates a plateau in interest rates at the higher levels. But it seems now that markets are looking across this plateau to a further hike in interest rates, perhaps even before the end of the year.
1: So central banks have been indicating that they will remain quite data dependent from here. And this is obviously going to cause markets to be even more jittery than usual in reaction to all these data releases that we have. You know, For instance, the last non-farm payrolls, that came in quite a lot stronger than expected. Uh, you know, indicating that the labor market remains pretty tight. And even more recently, so the September inflation figures, the CPI, they came in a bit mixed with core inflation not falling as much as expected. So on the back of these data releases, uh, you know, we've seen the probability of a December rate hike now increase from 30 percent, 40 percent. And with this worry of potentially further rate hikes to come and also the idea of interest rates remaining higher for longer, markets are a little nervy at the moment um, and for what it means.
0: U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who is, of course, a former president of the Fed, offered reassuring words so recently. She spoke of core inflation that you mentioned as really well behaved. But has the Fed itself made any attempt to calm the markets?
1: Yes. So any speech or update given by Fed governors these days is getting a lot more attention than they might otherwise have got before. Markets are really trying to gauge the mood or the hoaxiness of the Fed. So in recent weeks, we've had a number of Fed governors speak about how higher bond yields and tighter financial conditions are helping in their battle to bring down inflation. And Markets have typically reacted very well to these comments, you know, sensing that the Fed may actually be easing up on its hawkish rhetoric. But at the same time, I'd be surprised to see the Fed continue to come across too dovish, you know, as it will undo a lot of the hard work that they've been doing so far in getting these financial conditions tighter. You know, so, for instance, last week, we saw bond yields fall by over 30 basis points in just a few days. and Much of this was in reaction to some less hawkish comments that were coming from Fed governors. And as this is ultimately leading to easier financial conditions, you know, I wouldn't expect to see a lot more of these kind of comments from Fed governors because you know, it is undoing a lot of the hard work they've already been doing.
0: Yes, the Fed is still very much walking a fine line. But what are we thinking? Are we thinking that bond yields might be close to a peak now for this cycle meaning of course that prices would have bottomed
1: well two weeks ago the U.S. tenure reached almost five percent and longer data bonds went above five percent you know, these were the highest levels we've seen since 2007 and there's also increasing talk now about what the natural level of interest rate or specifically the equilibrium interest rate which is neither accommodative or restrictive what, what this should be and many are arguing that this now needs to be higher than previously estimated these kind of thoughts and discussions will have an impact on longer data bonds keeping pressure on them as well in addition in you know, some of the technicals which have supported yields uh, you know in recent years they're less apparent now so foreign buyers they're buying less of u.s government bonds than they have and particularly japanese investors who are now beginning to look back uh, to their own markets where there's more attractive yields and offer there the fed as well they're also in the process of unwinding their balance sheet selling many of the treasuries that they bought as part of the relief packages back during the height of the COVID pandemic. Those hearts they with a lot of confidence that yields have actually peaked for this cycle. But in the near term, we actually maintain a pretty favorable view on US bonds. You know, yields have moved up a lot again this year and even more recently. You know, so from a valuation perspective, they are attractive. And as we are most likely near the end of this rate rising cycle this to a degree puts an upper cap on how much further yields can potentially rise so so yeah it's, it's definitely interesting
0: it is interesting and potentially encouraging although of course a time of transition and that is not an inspiring backdrop for equities Alex particularly not for the European equity markets it seems
2: morning honour. Indeed, economic data remains weak across most of the continent and doesn't yet appear to have troughed. So the downside, how much more pain we could feel, may not yet have bottomed. Earnings are okay, but certainly nothing exciting. And the drivers of those would appear to mostly be exogenous macroeconomic factors rather than a positive uh, individual company specific story. Of particular concern is Germany, which continues to be very weak. It's heavy manufacturing orientated economy has been a drag on the European economy when normally it's the flag bearer of prosperity. Indeed, slightly repeating ourselves of last October, but with more certainty now of the importance that the weather is going to play. Last year, in no small part, people putting their heating on later in the year saved the European economy from a deep recession. We we're in a better place this year. There hasn't been the same immediate energy price shock. though prices overall do remain high. But Europe has had a year to improve other sources of both carbon and renewable energy sources, and LNG stores of natural gas are a capacity. This will also have a higher bearing on geographically, which European countries have more of a headwind. Those countries that obviously get colder, think more Eastern Europe and Baltic, but counter to that, the further east you do go, the more the energy picture is made up of coal and wood and not gas. UK being a prime example here, being a front runner in cleaner energy and gas. Had a huge headwind last year when the prices of both spiked.
0: But we have talked before of brighter prospects, potentially in Japan. How are things looking there currently?
2: Indeed, we have. Japan sits in a bit of a sweet spot at the moment, we believe. Firstly, and importantly, the currency, quite often something which can destroy any value created by the equities themselves. Currently, the value of the Japanese yen is very weak and sits at a level which policymakers will often become involved with supporting. This effectively means we have something of support and the balance of risk is that either money can be made here or at least you would hope you won't lose a significant amount. As for Japan itself, it has a number of positive medium term factors. Principle to that is the drive for improvement in corporate governance. Where this has been a policy for a number of years, recent changes mean the effect should be more stringently applied by companies. Policy here is attempting to improve amounts of capital invested reduce archaic, unprofitable units from within companies, and reduce the huge amounts of cash on company balance sheets. All these things should together help to improve valuations at companies and improve distributions to shareholders.
0: Yes, it is a building positive picture. And as you said, the Bank of Japan remains largely supportive in policy.
2: It does. The Bank of Japan has been the key outlier among developed market peers. Where other central banks have increased their rates significantly over the last 18 months, the Bank of Japan has been steadfast in maintaining negative interest rates and other supportive policies. There's only really been one very small move towards a slightly less accommodative policy, which has been a separate tool, the yield curve control, and not the interest rate, as other central banks have done. Japan is certainly not immune from interest rate rises elsewhere on the globe. The key one being U.S. rates, which has a significant link towards it. Indeed, if we look at bank and financial returns in Japan and the U.S., the U.S. changes have arguably had more of an effect on the Japanese financials than in the U.S., whereas we know there have been significant volatility. Also, as we previously mentioned, from a currency standpoint where the yen is currently at 150 to the dollar, it offers an attractive opening position.
0: Yes, and the strength of the dollar has been a key feature of financial markets this year, as we've noted before on this podcast. Any thoughts there, Seamus?
1: Yes, Lorna. So we've talked a lot today already about the higher for longer narrative, and this has certainly been a key driver of the recent U.S. dollar outperformance. So with U.S. rates now expected to remain higher for a more extended period than previously thought, the currency has benefited from investors who were beginning to sell out of U.S. bonds in search of other currencies. So that's really been a big beneficiary. In addition, a higher for longer rate environment, is not necessarily good for global growth. And the U.S. dollar's state haven status makes it quite attractive in an environment like this. So unless this dynamic changes, it wouldn't be surprising to see that the U.S. dollar maintains the strength it has in the near term.
0: In response to all of this and the, the slump in risk appetite that we've identified, what adjustments have we made to a tactical asset allocation?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, markets are definitely beginning to appreciate this higher for longer. You know interesting narrative that's out there uh you know that's why they've come off a little bit but we feel actually the real danger of that is more of a medium-term risk and so actually in the near term markets will probably focus more on the improving inflation picture and the economic resilience out there because both of these increased the likelihood of a softer landing so you know we, we remain neutral overall equities in, in our positioning within equities though we continue to like u.s equities over eurozone equities you know, there's there's some positives there where the, the U.S. has a much better growth outlook than than Europe. Monetary policy is as well, where probably the ECB is going to need to remain more hawkish than the Fed. And also just in terms of the market styles and how how they're made up, the U.S. is a much better quality market, much better exposure to kind of large mega caps, which we expect to do better in this environment. Um, more recently as well, we you know Alex talked about it. We we like Japan, particularly like due to the currency outlook. So that's an area we've been adding to as well more recently on the bond side. We've actually reduced our exposure to emerging market debt more recently. So with the dollars having strengthened and we expect it to stay a bit stronger in the near term, this is a headwind for EMD. So, So we've cut some allocations there. We prefer U.S. rates over euro rates still. You know, there's a better inflation outlook in the U.S., so we have a preference for that market. We also maintain our preference for U.S. government bonds over euro government bonds. And then in the, the kind of the spread asset classes, uh, investment, great credit and high yield, for instance, we haven't really changed things there. We don't see much room for upside and, anymore now with, with spreads having tightened earlier in the year.
0: Thank you both very much indeed. Thanks, Laura. Thank you, Laura.